Hey, this is Pastor Jesse of City Lights Church, and I just want to thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. We hope that it inspires you and confirms the fact that the kingdom of God is a present reality in our lives that you get to live out. You get to be God's ambassador of the kingdom of heaven. That's exciting news. We also hope that our messages challenge your identity to help you understand who you really are in Christ. I hope that you're blessed by this message today. We are in this series um, looking at some events from the final week of uh, the life of Christ before the cross. Um, uh, It's often known as Holy Week. And so we've been looking at this the last few weeks, and then next week, anybody know what next Sunday is? Palm Sunday. Is that sign language for palm? Oh, Jenna's going like this, so I'm like, Palm Sunday, that's what it is, I like it. So, um... Next week is Palm Sunday. I'm actually not preaching. Like Ben said, my, my good friend Matt Smith will be here. I've known Matt since I was a teenager, and Matt was a, a kid, basically, <clears throat> a punk. Um, I mean, a kid. Um, his, his older brother is my best friend uh, growing up, and, and uh, he's just awesome to see what God's done in his life. And literally, it's, it's interesting because I would have never have thought that that one, we'd be so close, and two, that the Lord would do so many incredible things through Matt Smith. Like, God, God's really using him. Matt is preaching in public high schools every week, every week, in multiple high schools in his region. I just love what God's doing in that region with him. And so we're excited to have him here. Uh, the focus of next Saturday night, though, like Ben was saying, it's not really about Matt or him coming. We just wanted him to be a part of our first open heaven night. It's really about us coming together to worship corporately and just go after presence with no other agenda. Does that make sense? So I really encourage you to be a part of it. We're inviting other churches to be a part of it as well. This is not just the us thing. This is, hey, we just want to celebrate together on a special night um, and go after something a little bit different than a Sunday morning style of service. So that's what we're doing next Saturday night. Please make it a priority. Be a part of that. Um, let me ask you a question. What what was the darkest moment of your life? Whoa. <laughs> or maybe what was the hardest emotional season you've ever been in? Um, or maybe what was the most embarrassing place you've ever been, the most vulnerable you've ever felt, the most broken place? Okay, come back out of your sadness now. Don't, don't, don't dwell there. I just wanted you to think about that for a second. D- did you want a crowd when you were there? Did, did you want many witnesses? Like, not really, right? Like, when you're at your most vulnerable, your most broken, you tend to, like, go and hide. Like, don't come near me. I don't want friends right now. Maybe one or two can, you can share, but, like, you don't want to make a big scene. And you're definitely not writing a journal about it to share with the world, right? And, and this morning, as we look at the biblical text, uh, actually, I was not planning on preaching this passage, but I really felt two days ago that the Lord's like, this is what I want you to share with the church today. Um, I was planning on sharing something completely different. And, and what we see in the last week of Christ before the cross is this most vulnerable, broken image that we can see of our Lord and Savior. That God in the flesh came, dwelt among us, and was vulnerable with us, and he didn't hide it. He invited us into that place. So we've been looking, and it kind of happened accidentally. We wanted to look at the last week of Christ, but what we found as we look at the last events uh, of that final week is it's this urgent call to coming into his presence, to coming into worship. We looked at Mary 
anointing the feet of Jesus. And, and last week we talked about how it's not about one style of worship versus that style of worship. It's Jesus is like, I just want your worship, whatever it looks like. like it doesn't have to be a song or a performance. It could be whatever it is. If it's your worship, I want it. I'm, I'm accepting it. We looked at Jesus in the temple, and it's, he's frustrated because they are making a mess in the court of the Gentiles, not letting the Gentiles come in. Jesus says that my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. God is inviting other nations in who aren't his people to a place of intimacy with him. Make sense? And I still feel like the same thing is happening as you look through the rest of Holy Week. We see Jesus giving all these parables that we're not going to talk about today. We're going to look at something else. But all these parables are given. Jesus is teaching in the temple where he flipped the tables. He's teaching in there every day. And he's giving these parables of inviting people into his kingdom. A father bringing people in. It's this idea of here's what my kingdom looks like. Do you see it? Are you ready for it? Are you in it? Come into this thing. And so if we could, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn to Matthew chapter 26, verse 30. We'll also have on the screen, if you don't have a Bible, the one in the pew in front of you is a gift from us to you. You can take that with you. Uh, if it's wrinkly and the one beside you is not wrinkly, take that one, whatever one you like the most. Um, wrinkly Bibles still work. Um, they're good. Matthew chapter 26, verse 30. Are you guys okay this morning? Is it all right to be a little silly talking about serious things? This is a heavy one. I'm going to, the slides here, I need to get Martin to put that trim so that things don't fall off. Okay. I can tell what time in the service it is the closer my books get to the bottom. It's, it's like a clock for me. Matthew chapter 26. I'm going to start here, okay? Starting in verse 30. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Verse 36, then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. I want to pause there for a second. I want you to understand the scene here that's happening. It's, it's Thursday night or probably early into the morning, Friday morning. It's They've begun to celebrate the Passover season. Jesus has already been anointed by Mary. He's been worshipped by the crowds on Palm Sunday. He's cleansed the temples. He's preached in the temples. He shared this list of parables inviting people into worship and celebration and relationships. And then he shares his last meals with his disciples. It's my body broken for you. My blood poured out for you. There in that night he washes the feet of his disciples. He models for us a king who serves. And you think about that for just one minute. Jesus, the son of God, the creator of all things, becoming creation, and then kneeling before a bunch of fishermen and tax collectors and goofballs, honestly. He kneels before them on the night before his betrayal and he washes their feet including Judas. 
the betrayer. Some of you guys won't even walk by your betrayer or your enemy in a hallway somewhere. You'll go around at the, the mall. You know what I'm talking about? You're at the grocery store and you see that guy or girl. You're like, I ain't going down that aisle. I know I need eggs, but I ain't going down that aisle. Jesus gets on his knees. God, perfect, holy God, gets on his knees and washes Judas' feet. I wanted to preach on that. That's not where I'm preaching today. I could, but I'm not going to. He tells them of his betrayal, and then here's their response to Jesus saying, hey, one of you guys is going to betray me. Peter's like, not me. And the whole group, we actually see, we'll talk about this later, we actually see that when he says they betray, they're going to betray him, they turn this into a moment of who's the best. Which one of us is the best disciples? Which one of us should be remembered the most, Right? Do you see, like, they, they take this story of pride and betrayal, or of his betrayal, and they turn it into a moment for their pride, and they're shocked when Jesus says they're going to betray him and run away. So they go to the Mount of Olives. It's a place outside of town where olive trees grow. It's not called Mount of Olives because it looks like an olive. It's called Mount of Olives because it grows olives. There's trees all over, right? And they get closer to the, the place, and Jesus says, hey, you'll fall away from me. I'm inviting you to be a part of my darkest hour. And you won't be able to hang in. They all insist that they will. That's the stage that we're looking at here. Does it make sense? This is the place they're at. Let's continue reading Matthew chapter uh, 26, verse 36. Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and I pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then, they, then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to his disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak again. For the second time he went away and he prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and he found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and he prayed for a third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and he said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hand of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. This is the Garden of Gethsemane. This, this is a place of oil pressing. So Gethsemane is not some random name like Naog Park. It's Gethsemane is literally the word olive press. And so it's at the Mount of Olives, there's an olive press. So if you have olive trees that are your olive trees on the Mount of Olives, you would take them to an olive press. Everybody didn't own their own olive press, right? So he would go to this olive press location, and that's where he would pray often. Do we, do we have a pic? Uh, that's not it. There it is. Uh, I don't know if you can see it. This is what an olive press would look like. It's a big stone with a big hole, cir- circular hole in the middle. Um, and off to the side would be like a little uh, drainage point. You would put a bunch of olives in there and roll that stone around and just keep pressing it and pressing it and pressing it until you get like a pulp-like substance. So the oil would drip out, 
and that would be your first batch of oil. And then you would take the pulp residue, whatever it is, and put it in these big sack bags. And then you would have a press system later on to be pressed over and over and over again. So you would get every bit of oil possible out of the olives, right? It's a place of pressing. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, the olive press place. That's where he's praying. And here in this olive press, in this location on the Mount of Olives in the olive press, he lets them see his deepest sorrow. It specifically says that he says to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Watch what's happening, guys. Watch me go through this thing. Get to know my heart. See, God washed their feet. He not only washed their feet, he's not God in the flesh who just washes their feet, but he shared his feelings with them. He shared who he was. Remember, they already know he's the son of God. They already know that. They they thought he was just this messianic figure who would come and rescue them and, and deliver the people. But they realized, remember Peter's revelation, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Blessed are you. For God revealed this to you, not man. Like they, They've already had their eyes open. This is God, the Son of God on the earth. And he's sharing his deepest wounds with them. They, they see that. that he, he's, he is God and he's sharing a special moment. And he says, hey, keep watch. And they fall asleep. I was talking uh, in our home group this last week. We've actually been doing a different series through the book of Mark, and we're at the same place understanding the Garden of Gethsemane a little bit. And I was talking, Martin shared with us that he kind of uh, sympathizes with the disciples here because when he was in his late teens, early 20s, he was in, uh, he was born in Germany, and he was in the army there. And he had certain nights he would have to take watch. And you would, I forget how many days, anybody remember how many days he said he was in, 30 days in the brig, right? If they caught you sleeping on watch, 30 days in the brig, like locked up, right? If they found you sleeping, Martin said, I slept almost every night. I had bruises all over my body from pinching myself to stay awake. He's like, so I sympathize with these disciples in the middle of the night in the garden. I get the severity of facing 30 days in the brig, but these disciples had God sharing his heart. I am broken to the point of death, guys. Stay up with me. Stay up with me. I'm inviting you into my brokenness right now. They had never seen Jesus like this before. Three years of being with him. And he's healing the sick, walking on water, teaching in the synagogues, representing all of heaven, the peace of heaven. And here he's like, my soul is sorrowful to the point of death. That should set off some some red flags if I'm a disciple. What's happening? Maybe this is an important night. Jesus has invited them in, and he knows they're going to deny him. He knows they're going to forsake him. He knows that they'll fall away, he says, and he still brings them into that place. He still invites them. Keep watch. Stay with me. I want you to see that Jesus is in his deepest agony, and he's mindful, though, of his disciples. So often we look at this passage, and we just look at Jesus weeping and crying out to the Lord. But the interesting thing to me is Jesus keeps going back to the disciples. Like, if if I'm going to face the cross, I don't care where those guys are. But not Jesus. He keeps going back to them and inviting them in. Hey, guys, where are you at? Are you with me in this? Are you, are you here? Jesus was concerned, he was giving his life into the will of the Father 
And he keeps going back to the disciples. Jesus, God, does not need your protection. He wants your participation. Jesus didn't ask them to keep watch so that they could get the swords out and kill the attackers. In fact, when Peter tries to do that, what does Jesus do? Put your sword down, picks up an ear, and puts it back on. Jesus doesn't need your protection. God doesn't need your protection at all. He wants your participation. He's bringing into his heart for this city, for this region, for the earth. And he says, hey, can you, can you be with me in this? I'm inviting you into a place of intimacy with me. Do you know what's on my heart? Are you interceding for the things that grieve him? Or do you nap through it all? And then when evil approaches and when it's in the headlines, all of a sudden we get out Facebook or our swords, whatever they look like, and we start hacking away. It's a little too late, guys. The Father has asked us as his disciples to continually understand what is on his heart, what grieves him, what sorrows him, to see where he's at, to see what's happening. And in this season, is there something breaking his heart? And are we keeping watch and interceding with him? Or is it, are we falling asleep? That, that's just like lesson one out of this, just so you know. That's not the main point. So if you're wondering if that's the main point, not quite. But are we keeping watch with him? Do we understand what's happening? He doesn't, God does not need our protection to build his kingdom. He wants our participation. He wants us involved in what he's doing. Watch and pray that you may not enter temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The flesh is weak. I, I don't know about you, but for like maybe seven years, I've been trying to uh, lose weight, diet, and exercise. And I start off great for a week. Uh, my spirit is willing, but my flesh is weak. And then Krispy Kreme show up in the cafe on a Sunday morning, and I'm a sucker for glazed cream filled, um, just so you know. And that's just, that's just a silly example. Like Gluttony, honestly, is a sin that I would struggle with, definitely. I say would as if I have it. I have struggled with gluttony, right? Hence my fat shirt today. Um, well, that's not the point. Jesus is with these disciples late in the night. They've been through all this. They've had their feet washed by him. And he says, stay up. And they, their, their, their spirit's willing, but their flesh is weak. And they keep falling back asleep. They, don't, they, don't, they can't get past the, the importance of the moment. They can't wrestle and push in a little further. And Jesus continues. He already knows what's going to happen and he keeps bringing them back in. Keeps reminding them of what he's calling them to. Does that make sense? I think it's wild. He says it's so they don't enter temptation. In the garden, Jesus continues to go after the will of the Father. The Father. In one garden, the first Adam fell into temptation and chose his own will. In this garden, the second Adam surrenders his will to the will of the Father and conquers temptation, conquers the curse of sin. This is a new Adam. Jesus has invited the disciples to come in and see, I'm doing a new thing. Look what I break in the garden. Your spirit's willing, but your flesh is weak. Watch me. Watch me surrender my will. Watch me be broken in this olive press for not my will, but for his will. Watch me. Understand how I do this. Let's go to Luke chapter 22. It's the same story, but I love Luke's, the, some of the things that Luke adds to the story. 
He brings them into this place, this, this broken place. And this is what it says in Luke's account in verse 39, chapter 22. And he came out and went. And as was his custom to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you, you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and he prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. With his sweat became like drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to his disciples and he found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. There's a few things I want you to see about Luke here in his account. The first thing is, like I said about Jesus, is constantly inviting them into this place. He wants them to see what's happening. And it wasn't like Jesus took them to the Mount of Olives, to the Garden of Gethsemane. He's like, hey, I'm going to go hide so nobody can see me. What does it say? Hey, be here with me about a stone's throw away, right? Nobody says a stone's throw away if they're trying to measure some large distance, right? Like, hey, he was so far out into the garden, you couldn't see him. It was like a stone's throw. No, a stone's throw is like, hey, not too far. He didn't go far from them. I mean, unless you're Ryan Ferretti, that's a large, that's a far distance. A stone's throw is, is insane. But this is the disciples. They were fishermen, not baseball players. So this is close. Jesus brings them into a close place. He goes away. For them to observe the agony and the intercession and the surrendering of the will to the Father. He brings them into this place of worship and complete unity with God. Jesus, who is God, surrendering to the Father who's God. This is an insanely beautiful moment. And an angel shows up and ministers to him. And what's happening when an angel shows up? They're sleeping. God is doing something. Angels are doing something. And here the flesh, the man, is sleeping, doing nothing. And I just sometimes wonder if like angels are ministering in, in Scranton because we're not. I'm just, like, this is not the main point at all. I'm just, it's a thought. I wonder sometimes if angels are ministering to what God's trying to do here because we're not participating. Just a thought, not the main point. Once again, it's a reflection. Jesus invites them into close proximity into his secret place. It says this in Luke's account, he came out and he went as was his custom. If something's your custom, it means you do it regularly. In fact, in John, we see that every night when Jesus would teach during this Holy Week, he would preach in the temples, and then at night he would go and stay in the garden. Every night. And that's actually how Judas, you ever think how did Judas know where to find Jesus? It's because every night he was going, retreating to a secret place in the garden of prayer and intimacy. I want you to think through this for a second, okay? God became man, man, and the God-man, Jesus, who is, it's the Trinity, it's one with the Father and Spirit, still needed to go and be one with the Father and Spirit and pray. How, just, just the thought, how much more do you and I need to find a secret place to be with the Father and pray? Every night, Jesus is doing this, and he's invited his disciples to be a part of this place. God worshiping God. God 
yielding to the will of God. He's like, hey, come in, come in, come in. See this, check this out, be a part of this, pray with me. That is the best invitation of all invitations. Like if you have a cool party happening, that's fun. But Jesus worshiping the Father, I want to be at that celebration. I want to be at that moment. That's, 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 that's mind-blowing. Jesus takes them into his secret place. Matthew only mentions Peter, James, and John, but we see in John's account that Judas knew where to find them in the garden because all the disciples always went there with Jesus. My thought to you is if you're a disciple of Christ, right? It says, go make disciples. If we're a disciple and Jesus has invited disciples into his secret place, and this is before he tore the veil in the temple, how much more today are you and I allowed access into what he's feeling, what he's grieving over, what he's celebrating. Jesus says, no longer do I call you servants because they don't know the will of the Father, but your sons, you know the will of the Father. Your friends, you know the will of my Father. How do we know unless we're listening, unless we're in that place? I want you to see that as we look at the last week of Christ, it's a constant invitation for us to come into his presence, to worship at his feet, with him, to understand his heart, to know him and to do his will. Does that make sense? It's one final invitation in his last week. This is the place where the olives were pressed. He was pressed. The drops of blood coming from him. It says that they were asleep with sorrow. I want you to understand, it wasn't like the disciples didn't get the moment. They fell asleep because of grief. Asleep for sorrow. That's interesting. Have you ever been so emotionally drained you just crash? That happens a lot to me, to me and my wife. Like when we're shot, like, right? That's happening. Apparently I snore more now than I used to. I don't know. That's what happens when we as human frailty are overcome with sorrow. Often we'll just crash. And like there's a, a seriousness of this moment in the garden and they just couldn't fight through it. They gave in. It's such a serious moment, and yet they're still confused. They're still confused. They're still wrestling. I want you to see something here. Jesus has invited broken people into a holy moment, and he continues to do the same thing. Like I said earlier, when Jesus says, hey, one of you guys is going to betray me, the one gospel account records them as literally saying, uh, hey, which one of us is going to be the best? And Jesus' response is, um, you're not going to lord over each other like the pagan kings do, like the Gentiles do. You're not going to do it that way. That's not, that's not my kingdom. That's not how I do things. They're still confused. They're broken people, and, and yet they've been invited in despite their frailty, despite their confusion, despite their human condition to, to just fall out under sorrow. They're still invited in. And, and this morning, I, I would remind you that you are invited in to a deep place of intimacy despite your frailty, despite your weaknesses, despite your background. I mean, Jesus already knew Peter's going to betray, or not Peter's going to betray him, Peter's going to forsake him and deny him, and he still brings him into an intimate place. In fact, the one, I, I think it's Mark, records Jesus saying the word specifically to Peter. Peter, in his gospel, 
or I got it backwards. In Mark, it doesn't record it that way. He's, he's like, Peter's like, I don't, I'm leaving my name out of this thing. Like, I, I don't want to keep, I don't want this to be about me. But, but you, he could have made it about him. He could have made the call of God or the deep place of intimacy about him. See, I want to tell you this morning that when God invites you into a place of revealing his will to your heart, it's not really about you. It's not about your brokenness or even about the things you can accomplish. It's about his heart of unconditional love for all of his creation bringing you in, including you. Does that make sense? Peter does not make this the thing of pride. The disciples did not make this thing the thing of pride. They realized that their pride had to be crushed. It had to be about his kingdom, his will, surrendering to his plan. That's how he lifts us up. That's how he exalts us. We're not going to lord over people like the others do. We're going to serve. I'm going to wash your feet. I'm going to declare hope to the broken, hope to the hopeless. That's what I'm going to do. Make sense? God desires that all nations come into a place of worship and prayer. He desires that you worship him in your own way. And he desires that you inspire, that in spite of your brokenness and frailty, you come into a secret place. He wants you to participate with him. There's a song that, I think it's by Hillsong, a long time ago it came out. And there's a line in it that says, Break my heart for what breaks yours. Everything I am for your kingdom's cause. Like, that used to be like, one of the most gripping, it still is, one of the most gripping lines in music to me. I, I thought if I ever got a tattoo, which I probably won't, just because I'm too cheap and indecisive to do that kind of thing, it would probably be, break my heart for what breaks yours, everything I am for your kingdom's cause. Jesus is constantly inviting us into that place to know his heart, to see what breaks him, to see what brings sorrow. Does that make sense to you guys this morning? As we approach Easter, I hope that, that you recognize that you are now his disciples who have been invited into a secret place with the Father. You're not bound up or rejected because of your past brokenness. You've been invited to suffer with him for the kingdom to be revealed on the earth. So often they're like trying to make, hey, hey Jesus, can I get the best spot? Can I get this? Can I get that? And he's like, you don't even know what you're asking, guys. You don't realize I love Paul, who was the most religious zealot of them all, right? Killing Christians. When he's converted, what's the thing, what's the prophetic word given over him to uh, Ananias? I will teach him how much he must suffer for my name. Like, the invitation into the secret place isn't fun all the time. But it's intimate. It's holy, it's special, and there's, there's nothing sweeter than it. Than being in his secret place, to suffer with him, to understand his sorrows, to grieve for the things that he grieves for. There's a lot of things in this region to grieve for. I got, I got a letter on my desk from Lackawanna County saying that there's 374 foster kids in this region who don't have a home. And that number, every day they're getting at least two calls wanting to place more kids in the foster program. That's a region broken. You just look, my wife and I were just talking about the schools. They want to close down six different schools. The heroin epidemic here. I, just talking to another friend of mine about the sex trafficking I issue in Northeast PA. It's here. We have brokenness across the board. And I just wonder, can we get into the intimate place when we worship Jesus, when we, when we bow and we find our sweet spot of worship and song or, or prayer or fasting or, or we're out hiking in the woods and we see his grand 
nature? Do we hear what he's saying about what breaks and grieves his heart where he wants the lost to be found? Do we see the issues? And, and what are we going to do about it? Or are we falling asleep? And then when it's in our face, when it's in our homes, all of a sudden we want to hack with a sword. Are, are we alert in the garden with him? Do we see how he surrenders his will to the Father? In a real practical sense, I want to ask you, what's your Gethsemane? What's that place where you connect your heart to him? Maybe it's a park. Maybe it's a pew. Maybe it's a coffee shop. Maybe it's working at the soup kitchen or, or being in a library and studying scripture and, and other things. Or maybe it's in your car on your ride to, to work on Monday morning where you're just yielding your heart before the Lord. What is your Gethsemane? What's that place that you have to go to regularly to connect your heart to his? And I, and I want to ask you, are you going there? Because he's still inviting disciples into the garden with him. He's still bringing you in. Worship team, would you come forward? When I, when I look at this book, I, there, there are lots of people who see this book as a sacred text, which it is, that's full of rules of do and don't and, and turn or burn, um, and then God will be happy. That's not how I can read this thing anymore. What I see is this is the most beautiful invitation for us to be a part of his beautiful feast in his kingdom and then to take it and invite others into that same feast. Does that make sense? And so when I read the account here in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when I see the, the road to the cross, I, I don't see just a bunch of random stories. What I see is him constantly portraying his heart. I'm bringing you in. I want you to understand. I want you to worship me, to know me, to experience those fountains that never run dry. Make sense? And, and when sorrow and grief come, do we just pass out or do we press in? Do, do we just stop or do we keep alert? He tells them to keep watch, guys. Keep watch. Watch what's going to happen. Watch what I'm doing. Intercede with me. This is a, I have one final verse for us, one passage that I want to read. And um, this is a translation. It's a new one by uh, N.T. Wright and John Golden Gay, two modern uh, s biblical scholars. And I just love the way they express this passage. Um, it's Hebrews chapter 12. And, and we often know this, the, the, for the joy set before me endured the cross. That's this passage. But I want to read it in, in this. And it's looking at faith, the faith of believers, the faith of the church, and, and how, what we're supposed to do with it. John, or Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. What about us then? We have such a great cloud of witnesses all around us. What we must do is this. We must put aside every heavy weight and the sin which gets in the way so easily. We must run the race that lies in front of us. We must run it patiently. We must look ahead to Jesus. He is the one who carved out a path for faith. He's the one who brought, us, brought it into completion. He knew that there was joy spread out and waiting for him. That's why he endured the cross, making light of its shame, and has now taken his seat at the right hand of God's throne. He put up with enormous opposition from sinners. Weigh up in your minds just how severe it was. Then you won't find yourselves getting weary and worn out. 
He's like, just remember the severity of what Christ did on the cross. Just remember, if we want to know what's our place in faith right now as the church and this society, remember Christ. Remember what He went through. And, and remember the witnesses that have surrounded us throughout all of history who have ran with faith this race. Remember the joy set before Him that even when He's hanging on the curse of the cross, He didn't look at its shame. He looked at the victory in front of Him. Does that make sense? And, and this morning as we close in worship, I want to encourage you to, to find your Gethsemane with Him. To find your place of intimacy with Him this week. To worship in your own way and forget the sins of your past or even the sins of your future because Jesus already knew what was going to happen. He still washed their feet. He still asked Peter to join Him. If I knew Peter was going to deny me multiple times to a bunch of random people, I'd be like, hey, why don't you hang back at the apartment for a little bit? That's not what He did. He brought him in, and he's doing the same with you this morning. Would you stand when we worship together? Let's hear what he's saying. Let's ask him what breaks your heart, what grieves you, and then what do we need to do in this moment to be a part of his kingdom and to see transformation? Let's worship together.